Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to Ask Wholesale. That's Ask Wholesale with Marco and I, Kirk Barbera, where today we're going to dive into the most challenging part of negotiations, at least according to science. And we'll see if you guys agree with us uh, or agree with me and see if Marco agrees with me. But um, if your experience of this is different, of the difficulty of negotiation, what do you think is the most difficult part of negotiation? Comment below. Tell us what you think it is. And we'll kind of, uh, you know, go into it and figure out what we believe and we'll, we'll talk about it. And if you don't have one, then at least tag your territory. So you might be, have a chance of making some deals in the comment section. Okay. But first real quick, one of the things I wanted to um, point out is that we have a cool event coming up I'm calling it WDD. I don't know if that's very, a very, very cool event. <laughs> so I think we have like three or four slots left. Um, but you can go to, I'm putting this in the comments um, for the event, but it's called the, the Deep Dive Wholesale Show. I'll put a link, but you can find it in our events page uh, as well. And, you know, the Deep Dive Wholesale Show, one of the differences between this and other places is one, it's free. So we're not going to charge you thousands of dollars for this event. It's a very intimate event. So there's only eight people allowed into this event. And we've done three so far. Every time the people have made some deals or made new contacts, grown their business. And you know, most importantly, what we're focused on or what Marco and the Hilco team are focused on is not just answering a single question, which we can do on the Ask Wholesale Show. The big difference is that we are going to, and Marco and the Hilco team is going to dive into really deeply wholesale for you and deep how dive. to go, deep dive for how to do um, you know, how to build a business, how to go from one deal a month to five to 10, which is what you have to do to really, to really play in, uh, in wholesale. I think as an outsider, anyway, <laughs> you guys tell me. Um, okay. So let's dive into ask wholesale live and the most challenging technique or difficulty problem in negotiation. Now I have a view, Mark, do you want to say what your view is before I say mine? of what the most challenging issue in uh, negotiation is? Well, I know what we're going to be talking about, but I think uh, a big challenge for a lot of people or where, people <laughs> where we kind of trip up a lot, a lot of people trip up is not being cognizant of the fact that there is a negotiation going on and oh, uh, not properly, properly preparing for uh, the conversation or future conversations in which negotiation will happen. I think a lot of people trip up there for sure. Yeah. So I think that's definitely a huge issue, um, which is related to what I think it is too. And what after doing, uh, you know, researchers and academics have nothing to do, but research. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of studies where they did in laboratory negotiations, but they also did, uh, you know, doing negotiations where they they go into large corporations or small, you know, businesses and watch people negotiate like a fly on the wall or record live negotiations. And one of the biggest things they found was that it's um, is the idea of getting into the shoes of another person. Right. So I think what you're saying is somewhat related is that you don't even know that you're doing that you're actually negotiating. And then a, a part of that is figuring out that you're in a negotiation is the first step. Like you have to know that, you know, uh, and, under, and respect negotiation 
And then you can figure out how to, you know, the, the next difficulty is getting outside of your own, you know, shoes and into the shoes of the person you're talking to. And that comes with the framework of knowing what you're negotiating for, you know, yeah. for a lot of people, uh, yes, they're trying to do a deal. They're trying to put something together. So yes, you know, they, they're trying to uh, come out the other end with the monetary game. But there's so much more than that. It's figuring out um, why you're trying to achieve that, what kind of numbers you need to be at, what kind of uh, structure to the deal do you need to orchestrate so that you're not just on to but to where everybody kind of can gain from that and um, come out ahead. So that's really the framework that you need to be approaching when it looks, when you're looking at conversations with other individuals. Yeah. And, and that's part of what, um, that's part of what the findings come into. So part of what we're going to talk about right now is I'm not a wholesaler. As you guys know, I have a sales background, but I'm a big reader. And so I'm interested in, you know, how to use some of the, the ideas in books. Like this is a really good book, Bargaining for Advantage by Richard Shell, which is, this is the book they teach in business schools across America. So if you go to business school, this is what they teach you on how to negotiate. But one of the, the I, I made a note of this, one of the discoveries that upset a lot of academics, of course, was that when they were studying master negotiators, like we're talking negotiators who, you know, do not only like, you know, $100,000 deals, but multi-billion dollar mergers and acquisitions, right? Like you're doing a huge distribution deal and, you know, from America to, to Spain or something, right? And you're trying to do a $150 million distribution deal or something. Um, in a, in a, so when they look at like these master negotiators, what academics found, and I think this is true from the very top all the way down to the bottom of negotiators, is that the um, the less educated the person was, the more successful they were as, an, as a, a negotiator. So that's, that's something interesting is, uh, you know, if you didn't go necessarily to the top tier schools, that actually means you may have a better chance of being a better negotiator. So uh, I think a lot of you guys. So who, uh, there's hope know, for all of us. Then. For everyone, whether you go to school or not. Well, I mean, you know, there's a big debate of if, if school is even worthwhile these days. And this is a good example of, you know, I know you didn't finish college, right? You went to a couple years, but you dropped yep. out. Yep, I quit and I wanted to make real estate work. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I figured I could figure it out along the way. Definitely yeah. got some licks along the way, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so by the way, if you guys oh, have... By, by the uh, way, Kirk, I have my uh, kombucha here today. Shout out good? to... To Evans, yeah, it is good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. it. So kombuchas for closers. Yeah, that's a reference to our our video. What was that last month with Evans? Yeah, no, that's an interesting one. Okay, so um, I'm gonna have to try that. Is it nasty or is it good? Well, there's a, several different flavors. The one I got is like multi green. So there's like has a lot of multi green. Green. So green. it has a lot of okay. plant flavor with, I don't know, spinach and stuff in there. But you can get all kinds of different flavors like mango and whatever. Okay. I'll have to try it. Interesting. Um, so tell me if you close anything while doing that. Well, about to find out. I haven't finished the bottle yet. Okay. So by the end of this, this Facebook Live, you better close something. 
or else it doesn't count. It's not actually. Uh, that's it. That'll be my last one because then I'll be faking it. it. You're faking it. Um, by the way, if anybody has any questions about negotiation or wholesale for Marco Romero, make sure to put it in the comments. Thank you, uh, Hernando and, and Quentin for, for saying hello. And we love all the hearts. Thank you, guys. Um, you know, ask questions. This is for the negotiation. Uh, this is part of the negotiation series we've been doing. As you know, we have a big, um, Helco has a big negotiation course, which we'll talk about in a minute, but we want to help you guys get some real value and keep adding to the conversation. Okay, so um, why is it so hard to get into, to get out of yourself when you're negotiating something. I mean, you know, even when you're negotiating with a friend, with a wife, with a business partner, with, uh, you know, or with a seller, if you're a wholesaler or with a, an investor, you know, buying the property, why is it so hard to get out of your own skin and get into the shoes of another person? Why do you guys think it's so hard? Why do you think it's hard, Marco? And I think it's I, hard because I think it's hard because it's a lack of practice i think uh, the way a lot of people operate uh, and not even just like um not even just real estate if you take it from a general sense you know as we're brought up in society there isn't very much um teaching for you to take yourself or take the position of somebody else to understand and empathize with their situations and their uh, experience and those type of things and for you to be a good leader, good negotiator, good communicator, that's definitely something that you have to be mindful of is who are you talking to and taking, um, trying to step into their shoes to have an understanding of their thought process, their desires, their wants, and their reasons for those wants um, is, is critical. And that really just comes with practice if you're trying to uh, generate a relationship with your significant other. You have to be mindful of where they're coming from, what they're perceiving, how they grew up, where if they have fears, wants, desires, how did those develop when they were younger or in the recent past? So I think it comes down to practice. If people practice that, then it starts becoming a habit and something that you can implement when you are talking to specifically about a real estate conversation and even more so a real estate negotiation. Okay. So, so that, that's really good. What you're saying is it's, there's these challenges that people have and all they, what they need is uh, experience essentially. But the question is that if you go into, let's say, you know, you do a hundred negotiations and you do okay with them, you may think that you're good at this empathizing thing, but maybe you're actually not good at it. Maybe there's more you could be doing. How can you do the, you know, how can you get that experience of negotiation? So like what kind of, what are some of the barriers that people have in empathizing with people? So you're saying it's experience, but even if you have experience, one of the difficulties I think is believing that you, um, which I think gets to the core of the problem is that you think you're good at something and therefore you don't try to get better at, right? So you think I'm a great negotiator or I'm a great empathizer, but then there's the issue of like, okay, you've done a hundred negotiations, you've done pretty good at them. So you start to tell yourself this narrative that you're good. When you go into these new negotiations, you, you know, maybe they're more high level negotiations and you, you start getting stuck and you start not, not figuring out what the problem is. So I, I, I just want to push a little bit and see if there's other things to get to of what stands in the way of people getting better at this. 
Well, you, you just touched a whole bunch of topics there. So um, if, if we're talking about hitting a plateau and whether or not you're realizing you're hitting a plateau or not, that just strictly is reviewing your results. If you are not growing, there's a reason for that. If you hit some sort of plateau, plateau like let's take doing deals as an example. If you're just closing two deals a month, every single month, when you're hitting a plateau, there's a reason for that. You need to look at that. We have a good question here. Maybe we could start. Do, and by the yeah. way, I can't see uh, any of the comments. So you I got to you. guide me on that. Everyone that's watching, appreciate you watching. Leave the yeah. love in the comment I, section. We'll I got you. Questions, all those things. I got you. We got a, we got a good question here, actually. So why don't we go with this one? Uh, Jin Wu asks, my buyers always try to negotiate for lower prices, even though numbers, the numbers work for them. Instead of saying no, saying so ne- no to their proposition, how can I make no sound better? This is a good question. Do you, do you understand well, the question? I, sure. I'm not afraid to say no. If you have, if you, this is all predicated on the fact that you said it in your question yourself. It's Jin, right? Jin, Jin Wu. Jin. Okay. So Jin. You, yeah, he, he watches all the time. He thinks I'm a nice guy. Thanks, Jin. Uh, Jin, so He's you already said it in the que- <laughs> he said it in the question where um, the numbers already make sense for this deal. Well, if the numbers already make sense for this deal, then the person that you're talking to as a buyer, they're not going to be the only one interested in it. If the numbers make sense, you're going to have demand for that deal. There'll be multiple buyers for that deal. So I'm not afraid to tell somebody, you know what? No. If you're trying to negotiate with me on this particular deal, on these numbers, which I know the numbers on this one, and I know I'm going to have a lot of interest in it. This is the price. This is um, the price that will work for this particular contract. If you want it, great, let's do it. If you don't want it, you know, there's, I'm going to be marketing it to other buyers. You're going to lose out on this opportunity, those type of things. Uh, another approach, if, if you're trying to um, do it in a softer way, kind of a roundabout way, is say, well, why do you – again, this is stepping into their shoes. Well, why do you need it at this lower price point? They could say, oh, well, I don't think the value is there. Well, what value are you getting? Because this is what I've run, uh, my numbers. Or maybe you can have like a third party, an agent run their numbers to present that. Or maybe uh, another answer they might um, give to you is, well, I think the rents are low over there or whatever um, in in that area. I think I'm going to get this lower rent amount. Well, again, look at the numbers. Hey, look here. From the last 12 months, these are all rent comps showing this higher uh, rent value than what you're getting. That should justify the higher price. So find out why they're saying they need the lower price point, And maybe it's a timing thing. Maybe they have funds that are going to line up a certain way. And they can go from there. But honestly, if you if this is all predicated on a deal, but you know the numbers are right and you know it's going to move, then I wouldn't be too concerned about being afraid to say no. Okay. I like it. Um, so, so what we were, we were talking about something a little different, but I think that was a good question related to uh, negotiation and how, like a tactical thing on how to, uh, you know, deal with negotiation, but what are some of the barriers? So you, we were talking about, and I think I interrupted you while you were talking about, yeah, I had some, uh, a you, plateau. what was it? You were talking plateau. about a plateau in, in your training in general, which is, by the way, what we're doing a lot of training for people, right? So you need to be reflecting on your numbers, uh, evaluating yourself. And this is in a multitude of different ways. How many deals are you closing uh, per month or 
per week or whatever it is, and then looking at those numbers and is it improving? If it's not improving, there's something happening. It may be a negotiation problem, but it may be other problems as well. Uh, another thing is looking at your total assignment fee. If you were constantly only getting four grand assignment fees, maybe you're not offering low enough amounts, or maybe like in Jin's situation, you're coming down on your price with your buyers a little too quickly. Um, so looking at your assignment fees and where you're going with those numbers and those trajectories um, is important. And then really easily you could do as well is ask other people, you know, ask other buyers, ask um, maybe not sellers, but other people um, that you work with. Like we have a team at Hilco Homes. There's a gr big group of us. We can communicate amongst each other. Well, what what am I doing well? Have somebody listen to your phone calls. Get some outside perspectives so that you have clarity on and objective feedback on what you're doing. That's important. But And then I wanted to make one more comment to the practice component of trying to uh, really care about the other people on the other side of the equation or the other side of the conversation. Again, stepping back from a negotiation, just communicating, trying to be a better communicator. Something that I implemented years ago when I read How to um, Win Friends and Influence People was just trying to uh, find out more about anybody I come in contact with, which great practice is cashiers, waiters, waitresses, um, you know, valet people, anybody that you're just kind of in a service uh, situation where you are, they're there and you can communicate with them rather than just you know, you're in the subway line and you just say, you know, I want spinach and tomatoes and here's my credit card. We'll ask them, you know, hey, how's today going? How, what do you think of the sandwich I'm making? Is this a badass sandwich or what should I add to it? Like having a conversation, find out how their day go is going. That's perfect practice to improve your communication. So you're, you're a nice guy as a tactic then. Well, I, <laughs> no, what I like to do is just find out what people sure. are doing. My approach is, is being nice. But I'm it's just trying to find out what what people are feeling, how their day is going, trying to sit in their shoes and I not that that be so focused on me. Your characteristic. You're saying you read that in a book and now it's attacked. I, I implemented it many years ago. Marco's, I was I didn't come the, out that way. The Marco image is shattered, man. It's gone. Um, that's right. <laughs> um well, but I think that's a good I think that is a good thing. Uh being a good person wins. And it gives you good life skills and negotiation is a good life skill. I know it's something for me that I've uh, gotten away from in like listening to headphones while I go grocery shop or do stuff. Like you get into this mentality of just bag the groceries, mother effer. <laughs> and it's like, stop talking. I don't want to talk to you. And you kind of get in that mindset. So I've noticed I have to like consciously take them off if I want to you know, like you're saying, train yourself to get into the mentality of, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? You having a right. good day? And things like that, which is good training. It sounds like you're saying for empathizing is, right. is what you're kind of saying. So I wanted to, so uh, three things that you, they talk about in MBA programs, which are, I think, related to what you're saying, but let's see what you have to say about these. So again, we're doing theory and practice here. So here's, here's some theory. So one of the reasons why it's so hard to, um, you know, get outside of your own skin and into the skin and, and in, not skin, into the shoes of another person. This isn't, uh, um, oh man, what is it? Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. It, it puts the lotion on its skin. Um, <laughs> uh, nice reference. I like Buffalo, that. Buffalo Bill, man. Buffalo, what was his name? Buffalo something? 
It's Buffalo. been a while. I think that sounds yeah. right. Buffalo. Yeah, Bills, Buffalo something. something. Like Somebody uh, in the comments can help us out. Yeah, someone in the comments tell us Santa Lamb. What was that crazy serial killer's name? Um, okay, so there are three main reasons that uh, Professor Richard Shell puts and suits you as a wholesale negotiation master who say to these. So the first reason is what you suffer, Marco Romero and all of us, from the disease of seeing the world through your own worldview. So this, this is the worldview. It's a disease, basically. And, you know, um, that's, it's, it's very challenging. So one little <coughs> quick story that I might have told before, but I think is a helpful one to help you understand this, is the story of Greg Mortensen. And I don't know if I – have I told you this? I can't remember. Um, I need to listen to okay. find out. So um, Greg Mortensen is this guy who's a Westerner. He's born in, I, th- I think it was Europe, but he might have been in America, and I can't remember now. But basically, he was a guy from the West who wanted to teach Afghanistan, Af- Afghani children, particularly in this tribe called the Kurgs, the small little tribe out in the middle of you know, the, uh, the Middle East and Afghanistan, how to read. It's a very lofty, good, noble goal, right? Okay, so what does he do? He goes out like, and he gathers millions of dollars to go spread literacy in Afghanistan. And he goes to the Kurgs tribes and he goes to the leaders of the tribesmen, right? You know, just like how uh, Greg would go to the leaders of banks and get money from them. So he went to the leaders of the Kurgs tribes to help the children in that tribe learn how to read. So they, they talked about it in the Kurgs tribes they loved the idea of you know, teaching the kids to read, and they came up with this uh, great uh, um, strategy of they were going to build this big, nice, beautiful school and teach the kids to read. So they all came to an agreement, and they spent you know, millions of dollars building this amazing store, or hundreds of thousands of dollars, this uh, amazing school, and they put it up there, and they told all the tribesmen, and no children came. None. There are no kids that can. And what they found out was that the parents of the kids had very different values than the, the tribe's leaders. So the tribe's leaders wanted fame and power and prestige, which is why they were very open to the idea of building a school. But the, To the, build up their tribe. To build the up, yeah. Well, and the image. So they're all about image, and like you know, this is big in the Middle East. Actually, is this idea of the strong horse and projecting this image of wealth and prestige. And so, if you put a big building that looks amazing, it's got state of the art stuff. They can show it to other tribes' leaders and say, "Look what we got!" Right, and it makes them look big, and that's what they valued. And Greg missed that. Like he didn't. He or he didn't want to know. So he's, he actually went after uh, and, and built this thing. But when later they talked to the parents, what they found out was that the parents, these peasants, basically, they valued sheep and yak. The way they put it is, um, you know, if we have sheep and yak, we ha- have success in life. That's all they cared about, sheep and yak. That was essentially their, their real estate investment deals. <laughs> that was their property. So they thing. were shepherds, tribes of shepherds. Yeah, they were shepherds, and, and so their sheeps and their yaks and, and building that up, which their kids had to be a part of, and that's part of the system, that's how they would retire and you know, live off for the, until they died. So that's what they valued. So they weren't going to send their kids off from um, you know, the, the, out in the pastures to go learn in this school when they were going to learn from books when sheeps and yak, that's all they care about. 
So the moral of the story, the conclusion is very simply, the Afghan government discovered um, how simple this solution was. They got some tutors, paid them a very basic salary, sent a whole bunch of them out to the fields where the kids were and taught them how to read. That's it. Much less expensive, much more effective. The point is that there's, there's a, a, a difference in worldview. Greg went in with this worldview of, you know, I, I deal with these leaders, I'm going to deal with these leaders, and that, you know, made the negotiation go awry and made it messed up. So that's the first reason. Does that ally with your views in, in negotiation with, with wholesales that you may have one worldview and the person you're uh, trying to buy from or sell to is, has a different one? Oh, that's a, there's a great parallel with that, especially with people that are newer in the business is there's a reason they're getting into the wholesale business and it's to make money. Typically they want to make money quickly so that they can then take that money turn around and start investing or grow or pay off bills, those type of things. The allure of wholesaling is a fact that um, you can make money pretty quickly with very little investment of your own, which is your own money, your own credit, and even time in a lot of cases. Um, but to bring a, a, a parallel to your story, as a lot of people come in with that worldview of I'm trying to talk to this seller to make some money. I'm trying to get as low as possible so that I can sell this contract and make as much money. But that, can, that doesn't lead to a lot of success. Instead, if you were coming with the mentality of like you're mentioning earlier, Kirk, of sitting, not getting people skinned, but getting in their shoes to identify <laughs> with where they're coming from and why they are even willing to sell their house and coming out of that and trying to orchestrate a win-win scenario for not only yourself, but also the seller involved um, can orchestrate better results. Just like your story, the win-win was, hey, they sent tutors out into the fields to where the children were still out with the sheep and yaks and taking care of their investments over there. Uh, but at the same time, they were being taught literacy. And when you apply it to wholesaling, there's a reason these sellers are selling. Maybe they went through a divorce. Maybe they inherited the property. Maybe they can't afford it. And if you understand what those are, maybe they need to move into a new home before they can sell this one. If you can solve that problem, help them find the apartment, the new house, uh, make sure that um, they can get moving expenses taken care of. If you can find out what their reasons for selling are and then what their problems are by stepping into their shoes, then you'll have a much higher success ratio and you can orchestrate uh, win-win scenarios where they get benefit out of it and you get benefit out of it and everybody wins. Okay, so so you're saying essentially know the long-term get goal you're trying to achieve <clears throat> and then figure out the best way to work with the right people to get there. Right. So well, right? I'm saying, like, <clears throat> know what they're trying to accomplish, where are they coming true. from, yeah. know where they're coming from. And then knowing where that uh, where they're coming from, then you can guide them along with you to the long term goal of we can close this transaction together. Have you ever ways. got stuck on on price with someone and then found out that price really wasn't the issue? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. Cause that's the same kind of thing as like, uh, he didn't have any, you know, Greg didn't have any friction in this case, but, uh, he had friction with the parents basically. It's like, I want, he wanted the parents to come in to this school or take their kids to this school, but they didn't want that because it, you know, it, it conflicted with something essential to them. So if you realize, oh, my goal is to teach them 
I am not going to try to force them to do something that they don't want to do and bring, them, bring their kids into school and destroy their sheeps and yaks, which is what they value. And so it's the same kind of thing with what negotiation is all about for wholesale, right? Well, to apply it to a real estate context, uh, to answer your question, hey, have we got stuck on price, but then price wasn't the problem. The way you find out is you simply ask them why that price. Like if you've gone through this whole song and dance, you've looked at it, you've you know, looked at the numbers, you evaluate it, and you're at 65 and they're at 70 and you just can't get alignment. Why are you stuck at 70? What is it about that number that you really need 70,000? Ask them directly. What you find is being direct in a lot of scenarios can really be beneficial. But ask them why. And then you'll find out there's a, some, for some reason, psychologically, they pick the number and there's a reason. It might be the exact amount that they're, the bills that they need to pay for them to be taken care of. Well, what are those bills? Well, maybe you can call one of those bill collectors and say, hey, can we, instead of them paying you the 3000 that they owe, I'm trying to buy this house, would you be willing just to take half of it so that we can make a deal happen? You'll be surprised if, if you start asking your brain, how can you make something work? You'll be surprised at the solutions that you come up with, but you have to ask why to find out what the what's going on in the seller's mind so that you can take action on that and come to a win-win. So one of the um, the things that, so, so negotiation requires experience and imagination. But when, when you go into these deals and you have that kind of challenge, um, how, what is a tip-off? Is, is the only tip-off that they say no a couple times or they push back? Or are there other clues that you're starting to get some pushback on like a price or, an, or a sticking point? And then, then your mind, you tell yourself, I need to start asking why this is happening. It, do you like wait for a number of times they say no? Or you know if, if they're going for you know, 75 and you need 70, you just say, how about 70? How about 70? How about, you know, do you just keep doing that? Or is there like, how does it feel in the moment? Well, too many people think that negotiation is just one conversation. They kind of envision this. I'm sitting at a table. They're sitting on the other side of the table. And then we hash it out until we come to an agreement on price. But negotiation is not just one conversation. Negotiation is a series of conversations over the course of five, six, seven phone calls, sit downs, uh, face to face, which could be over the course of a week, a month, two months. So it's a series. Um, This is why we created the negotiation course because the negotiation course um, walks through the, the different process from beginning to end, but different techniques that you can lo- use along this process. So I'm showing what I, the course right now, by the way. Okay, cool. So people could check it out. Um, this, Excellent. if you go to, if you wanted to talk about it. So this is part of what you know. We're teaching you some of the the tactics, but there's a there's over 50 course or videos now in the course. And yeah, it was to, it was 42, and we're adding to it consistently so now it's 50 for the same price 50 videos yeah so it's hilcohomes.consulting um i'll I'll put that up on the screen too you can go there to to kind of figure it out but but i'm talking about i'm showing some of the videos if you wanted to talk about that as well so depending on where you are in the negotiation process like at the very beginning i use several different techniques like in the first phone call i make sure to give them a number and get a number from them a lot of people skip 
that in the first phone call. They might say, oh, they'll gather a lot of information and they're like, well, I'm going to do some research. I'll call you back. And they never presented a number. That's a, that's a mistake. That's a, a missed opportunity. Um, you need to, in the beginning, establish with them how close you are to them. And then you need to know how hot of a lead this is so you know which leads to be working. I also use the three times technique. Uh, we've talked about it a lot because it's effective. It's basically asking the same question three times to either get a number from them if they're hesitant. In a very to specific way, though. Yeah, specific way, specific say, order. You're not just saying, hey, 70,000? How about 70,000? <laughs> it's like being at the bar. Hey, you want to go out? You want to go out? You want to go out? It's like, God damn, dude. So there's, there's obviously a technique to this. Just so right. everyone knows, that's what all these videos are showing is right. how to do it. So I'm showing the video of the three times technique right now. Yeah, I see that. I see the uh, give a little, ask a little. I yeah. love that technique. So depending on where you are, like how early in the negotiation process or in the middle or towards the end will determine when I use these different techniques. Um, so it's not necessarily like you were referencing earlier where you like hit a hurdle and then, uh, or you, you finally came to at the end where you're at your last number and they're at their last number and you've stopped and now you can't get it. Really what you've been doing is there's been a bunch of little hurdles along the way. And if you incorporate all these different techniques, you're chiseling away at their number. It's a chisel effect. You're not going to get it all in one swoop, all in one hammer stroke, but a bunch of little hammer strokes will knock off a little piece there, a little piece there, five grand here, a thousand here, 500 here, 10 grand there. And then eventually you get them to a price that you know will work for you and then can create that win-win scenario that I was talking about uh, earlier. But I, 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 you, that's why you want to learn all these different techniques is so that you kind of have like a tool belt, like um, a, a tool chest that you can pull out the different tools whenever is, is needed and you can adapt. Eventually over time, it's kind of subconscious. You listen to things, you'll notice patterns. A lot of these sellers and buyers are in the same situations. So you'll notice patterns and then you'll, you can utilize different techniques in those same patterns um, but if you don't know the technique, then you're missing out. So it's all about strengthening your skill set, practicing experience, sharpening your saw so you can add to your tool chest, and then implementing it as you go down into these actual conversations. Yeah, experience, judgment, imagination. It seems to be the three core values of a negotiator. Right. It's like you have to have those three things to, to kind of uh, to really flourish and get those big numbers in wholesale negotiation where and get the numbers in such a way that everyone's still happy with it, which is the other part of it. Like, I think there are probably some people who get big numbers once in a while, but they do it in such a way that they basically kick themselves in the ass where everyone hates them as angry, which is a really bad thing to do long term if you right piss off your seller and you piss off your buyer and you piss off your mother and you piss off your dog. Like just there's, piss everybody off. There's a bunch of different styles, just like there's a different style basketball player, um, different style, anything. There are different styles of negotiations. There's some people that are very abrupt and abrasive and yeah, they might do great uh, on individual deals here and there, but uh, the approach that I suggest, the approach that I take is more of a long-term approach, which is how can we create win-win scenarios to where uh, we can both come out ahead and I'm solving all your problems and even giving you a little extra if I can uh, to, to make it win for you. But at the same time, you're giving me a price point on a, on a contract that I know can work. 
that I can then find a buyer for and create a win-win for everybody across the board. And so you have to be mindful of that. And that's where it starts with being able to step into their shoes, find out what their problems are, their motivations, their situations, and, and just learning that. And then trying what you're really doing is guiding them to a successful agreement. So then you can um, take the contract and you know sell it to a buyer or whatever you're going to do. Or if you're going to keep it as an investment yourself, you can do that too, of course. So that kind of leads into the second reason that they found in this and the you know the research from the MBA programs, see if it matches up. But but it sounds like it does because the second one. So the first one, it's so hard to get in another shoes because you suffer from the disease of seeing the world only through your own worldview. The second one is even accommodating individuals like yourself bring a competitive attitude to negotiations. So it's 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 something that I think naturally happens, even if you're somewhat accommodating. And part of this you kind of addressed is pe- you some people don't have a long-term range view of the issue. And I bet when you started out, you didn't have the most long-range view of negotiating. So you tried to get more, like you were less willing to take less money on a particular deal, which then probably fell through or something um, because you wanted as much money as possible. Also, people have, I think, as what's called a zero-sum mentality, right? Or a a limited pie mentality. So it's the idea that I have to win and you have to lose. And it's it's one or the other. There's no, you know, all tides lift, you know, a a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, if I um, can't get my full fee that I'm trying to get my $10,000 on this price, then I lose completely. And you're going to just take me for everything. And that I think is a big view that we have this competitive mentality and, and they come from this kind of zero sum, not, you know, short range thinking. What do you think of that? Which you kind of touched on a second ago. Yeah, there, there's a, there's a good amount of people that operate with that way or operate with that mentality. That's not the kind of mentality that I take. Um, again, for, did you at long, first, at first, honestly, I was just trying to get deals done and I made mistakes. You know, you're trying to figure out that style. Like I said, everybody has a style. When you're first starting out, you don't have a style. So you're trying to figure it out. You might be too abrasive sometimes. And other times you're too nice. And sometimes you were too slow and you should have been faster. And other times you were, you were calling them too fast and it tore them off. So you kind of, there's a little bit of that experience that comes into it. That's why you just need to do more deals. Um, that's, that's the answer to a lot of people's problems, by the way, is just make more phone calls, talk to more sellers, talk to more buyers. Um, but then you'll start uh, developing a style. And there are a lot of people, it, the natural feel of a conversation like this is I'm either I'm going to win or you're going to win, and there's always a loser. And that's not always the case. There may be scenarios like that occur, but your mentality shouldn't be that. Your mentality is how can we both win? And there's I will use particular phrasing in my conversations, especially when I start hitting some roadblocks where I'm like, Help me help you. How can we make this work? <laughs> what do I got to do? Cuba. Tell me. Like, I'll start using, you know, how can I help you accomplish this? Or how can I help you solve this problem? Help me you help know, you, man. Yeah, help. exactly. Like, they're like, help I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to sell this house because I'm going to, I need to live in here till July 20th. Well, 
How can I help you move out faster? What, what do I need to do? You need to find a place. Okay. How can I help you find a place? What do you need to look for? Oh, you need, you don't want, it's going to take you a month to pack everything up. Can I hire people to help pack up your stuff? How can I help you? What, how can we move in the same direction? So this is the so imagination and judgment thing. This is something I've noticed of like watching unsuccessful wholesalers versus successful ones is that they have a successful wholesaler has the mentality of, you know, doing what it takes to get a, a deal done so that, for the seller. Whereas an unsuccessful wholesaler has the mentality of just make money and get a big assignment fee, right? And so I'm never going to leave my couch or I'm going to only do certain things, but like uh, the more successful ones will like clean out the, the house of the person, right? They'll help get dumpsters or whatever and, and put that as part of the fee or they'll, they'll get a chunk of the fee and help the person. I've, I've seen people do this where they help the, the seller who lives in the house get an apartment, which was one of their worries. Like, where am I going to live if I can't live here, right? We, so we actually have two contracts right now where um, both the sellers need a house found before they, we close on the house they're selling to us. So we have taken active role in finding them an, uh, a house that they can purchase with the proceeds. Two of them right now that we're doing that. So that's yeah. like extra service, extra work um, that a lot of people don't even consider or think of. But the mentality is if you're willing to work with me, I'm going to do whatever it takes I won't give up. I will keep trying to figure out the solution. I will never give up to make this work. All right. Um, so the last one that they have here, I think, is kind of related. I don't know if it's even a big issue to talk about. Is They said that the dynamics of negotiation process itself. So, you know, um, uh, often work against discovering shared interest once discussions begin. So, one, you mentioned that people don't even know they're in a negotiation process. But two, when they do start to, to put a price, which is a very scary thing for a lot of people to, like, to offer a price. I think that's probably one barrier for newbies, I would imagine, is to say, I'm going to give you $60,000 for a house that you think is worth $100,000. Like I imagine that's one scary thing, right? Yeah, we talk about that. We actually talk about a negotiation course to not just give a price, always give a price range, especially in the yeah. early uh, process. Range. And that's designed for a particular reason because a big fear for a lot of people is I don't want to fuck up. I'm talking to these sellers and I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to throw a number out there and then it was too low and I offend them and I don't want to throw a number out there. It's too high. And then I find out I need it lower. And then, you know, I have to go back on what I said. So that's why we say present a price range. I need to be in the low 60s. I need to be between 90 and 100 on, on this particular deal. And it, it's not designed for you to, and this is early in the conversations, it's not designed for you to be precise and have them accept your, your offer right then and there. That rarely happens. What it's designed to do is start the conversation rolling close to the range or the arena, the ball field that you need to operate in, that you both need to play in, that can lead to success. And you always have the excuse of falling back on, well, I haven't, you know, I gave these are quick numbers. I'm going to have to run some comps and do some evaluation. I haven't even seen the property. These are just based on, you know, my assumption of the rehab. I'm being conservative on the numbers. There's a lot of excuses you can give if the numbers don't line up properly, but it's at least getting the ball rolling and getting everybody closer to a 
more compact range that can generate a yes and success for both of you. Yeah, so one of the things I'm hearing um, is one of the differences between, you know, like pr- the, the negotiators that, you know, learn at, at MBA or that work at a bank for a merger or, you know, a $100 million business for a distribution deal or if you're a medical, you know, um, if, you, if you're working with the FDA and you're trying to do, you're, you know, doing a new uh, pharmaceutical thing and you have to negotiate with the FDA, one of the differences that is fundamental between all of that and wholesale real estate from what I'm hearing from you and kind of getting is that people don't even, is the idea of not recognizing you're in a negotiation process. So when you're doing like a a $50 million negotiation deal um, in in some big country or whatever you're trying to get into, you know, you're going to go into a negotiation deal. And there's a lot of time spent thinking about it, you know, planning and preparing and their people, you know, there's a dozen people, 40 people that get into a room and they, they hash out the best way to negotiate. And, and so it's very clear. Yeah. You, you have to, the, and, and there's many pitches and then they pick the best pitch, right? That, that this is what we're going to bring to the, the person we're going to talk to. So one of the challenges as a wholesaler, especially if you're working by yourself, is that idea of really realizing that you're in a negotiation. And realizing like that there are parameters to the negotiation and really the negotiation. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm starting to see that wholesale as a profession is negotiation from the start to the end. Like that's all it really, it really is. Like it, it's, it's not like I'm um, a pharmaceutical company where there's like, okay, so I'm going to do research over here. I'm going to do some marketing. I'm going to, you know, test out things. And then I'm going to negotiate this new product with the FDA, right? That, that's, it's a separate thing. It's almost like if you're a wholesaler, you are a negotiator, period. Like from the, like the parameters of negotiation, you're in the office of negotiation from morning to night, from beginning to end. What do you think of that? So if you're in sales, you're a negotiator for sure. Sales is fundamentally based on negotiation. Um, Negotiation is basically trying to paint a picture in the other person's mind to where where their wants and needs that they're acquiring line up with what you're providing to them. And in this scenario, as a wholesaler, yeah, you are are negotiating on both sides of the equation. You're negotiating with the sellers to get a contract to a particular price, and then you're negotiating with the investor-buyers when you're selling your rights on that contract. Um, so you're negotiating all in all aspects. And this applies to real estate in general in a lot of different arenas. But being experienced, knowledgeable, and masterful in the arena of negotiation is only going to add to growth in your business, prosperity, and the ability to do more and more transactions. And you know, come at the same time, also helping more and more people. Okay, I think that's um, you know a pretty good place to stop. We we covered a lot of ideas. the The three things that that I was putting forth that I think um, go coincides with wholesale negotiation is the idea that of how diff like respect the problem. And maybe next time we could talk about the four um, techniques of planning that professionals use in these major corporations that I'm talking about that I think in listening to you relates to wholesaling equally as well. But the three things that we kind of covered today is, you know, why it's so hard to get into another person's shoes is that you suffer from the problem of 
you know, your own worldview and your interests and what you believe. If you're a new negotiator, you just want to close a deal and make a, a contract. Whereas the other person may want to um, find a house that they can be respectable in, you know, they, they are, you know, losing kind of prestige by losing their house and you have to respect where they're coming from and recognize that, um, you know, and, and the, and that's where I told the story of the Kurgs and Greg Mortensen and how he destroyed everything basically. Uh, by the way, it was, it was found that he was a huge fraud. So there's a couple, it was a big New York times piece and a couple books that he was actually taking money from people in the West, telling them he was going to go teach uh, literacy and then just kind of spreading garbage and not doing anything about it. And um, it was, a, it was a big fiasco. So see, um, be, with negotiation, there's a lot of, uh, you can uh, manipulate a lot of outcomes. Don't be like that person. Always work for the positive. I always like, have a clear outcome. Like, know, or know what the clear outcome is going to be, I think is a big part of negotiation. Um, so that was the first one. You suffer from the disease of worldview. Second one is even accommodating people like Marco bring a little bit of a competitive attitude to, to negotiations what causes that is the zero sum mentality. And, you know, it's I win, you lose, or you win and I lose. It's one, it's one or the other. And even though you may pay lip service to the idea of win-win, understand that when you put numbers on the table and you've put work into it, you've knocked on doors, you've dealt with dirty dogs, you start to feel, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you start to feel like I got to close this at this price and make $10,000. That's how much I deserve. And so you start getting competitive versus trying to have a long range view of, okay, I'm going to lose 4,000. I'm only going to make 4,000 on this rather than eight or nine, but it's going to be good because I'm going to bring such an amazing deal to this buyer. It's going to set me up in the future for more successful deals. That's common in uh, desperation too. Don't let desperation, like money, money problems, or the fact that you're trying to hit a home run on the fee at the end, uh, affect doing the right thing and, and approaching it in the right manner. And then the third one is that dynamics, the dynamics of the negotiation process itself, you know, often uh, work against discovering what the shared interests are because the 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 second you realize you're in a negotiation process, you start to think, oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm in negotiation or I, you know, I need to sell this thing. And you start to get more and more attached to how you know, your, your official beliefs or your official prices that you're trying to get. And so those are three main things that stand in the way of you stepping outside of your shoes and being like Buffalo Bill uh, from Silence of the Lambs and getting into people's skin. Don't be like Buffalo, whatever his name is, from Silence of the Lambs. Um, so that's all I got. Uh, check out our negotiation course. We put a link in the uh, comments below. But we've now added another teacher from California, an amazing teacher, to the course. So there's also a free book. There's 50, um, there's 50 different 
uh, videos right now. There's new techniques. Check out the Polar Responder. It's a very interesting technique that I never heard of from Ryan in California. So click on that link below. Uh, if you're not ready to purchase, that's fine. Just get the free ebook. You can download that by going to the link. Just scroll all the way to the bottom of the page. And um, actually, I'll end Download up. that at a minimum. If you're not going to buy the course, which you should, if you're not going to buy the course, download the handbook. There's a lot of great information that can get you started. We go over a lot of the uh, topics in written detail. There's some stories, there's some scripts, and that's for free. So download that at a minimum. Yeah. So that, that's in there. And, um, you know, thank you guys. I appreciate your time and put your comments below even after we're done here. Peace.